Bible. It's Luke chapter 13, verse 22. All right. Lovely, and that's page 988 in the Blue Bibles. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? He said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter, but will not be able to. Once the owner of a house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, We ate and drank with you, and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. Away from me, all you evil doers. There will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourself thrown out. People will come from east and west, north and south, and will take their places in the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those who are last who will be first, and those first who will be last. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You like the good news first or the bad news first? You want the good news first? I'm going to give you the bad news first. Okay. Um, it's better that way. The bad news comes from the reading we've just had. Someone asked Jesus, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus said, yes, only a few. And that is really bad news, isn't it? But the problem with that bad news is most people don't believe it. In my time, I have conducted many a funeral. And I've noticed one thing that all funerals have in common. There is an assumption made that the person who has died is going to be saved. Whether they're religious or irreligious, good or bad, Hindu or Muslim or Christian, all will be saved, all will be in heaven. Never conducted a funeral without that assumption being made. But according to Jesus, this assumption is dead wrong. According to Jesus, there is a broad road that runs through life. And most people, Jesus said, are traveling on the broad road. Where does the broad road lead? It leads to destruction, said Jesus, to absolute disaster. Jesus also said that there is another road, another path through life, an alternative way of living, and Jesus called this the narrow road. Jesus said that the narrow road leads to life, to salvation, to heaven. But, he said, there are only a few who are traveling this way. That is the bad news. The good news is that access to that narrow road, the one that leads to life, according to Jesus, access to that narrow road is much easier than you might think. Daniel Cousins is the founder of Through Faith Missions, and as a young man, Daniel was a curate in a busy London suburb. Living in London, 
of course, meant contending every day with the crowds and the traffic and the noise and the grime. But there were compensations. There was a supermarket and a cinema right across the road, a garage where he could get petrol. London has every kind of amenity within easy reach. Daniel had an American friend from his student days, and her name is Gillian. Gillian came to England, and it was important to her while she was in England to visit Daniel in his new place. So Gillian set out across London to find Daniel's house. She got hopelessly lost. And because this was in the days before mobile phones, Gillian looked for a telephone box. Remember them? Gillian rang Daniel's number. Hi, Daniel. I'm lost. Where are you? No idea. I told you I'm lost. Okay, said Daniel. Tell me what you can see. Well, I'm, in a, I'm on a main road. Opposite me is a branch of Sainsbury's. Next to that is an Esser garage. Next to that is a cinema, the Ritz. Gillian, turn round. Gillian turned round. Do you see a hedge? Yes. Do you see a gap in the hedge? Yes. Do you see a house? Yes. Do you see a man by the window holding a telephone? <laughs> Hi, Daniel, she said. The bad news was that Gillian was lost. The good news was that the solution, her salvation, was much nearer than she realized. I want you to speak directly now to someone here. For you, life is not what you hoped it would be. You find happiness to be elusive, peace to be hard to find. You have messed up, or perhaps other people have messed you up. The good news is that for you, salvation is very near. In fact, it is only one prayer away if you say that prayer and you mean it. And I'm here today to offer you that prayer, and that prayer will come at the end of this talk. Say this prayer today, mean it, follow through on it, and it will be your first step on the road to salvation. I was on a mission, this time to a place called Newcastle-upon-Tyne, which you may never have visited, being Southerners. Uh, during this mission, two of us went for a meal with a lady called Gladys Robson. Gladys Robson was aged 74 at the time, but she was very sharp. She had done her A-levels when she was 71. The lunch itself was very good, but the conversation was weird. I'm afraid I'm not a very good person, she said. And then a bit later, you know, Mr. Morgan, she said, there's a calendar in my kitchen. If I go a whole day without sin, then I ring the date on that calendar. You can look, she said. You will find very few rings on my calendar. When I'm on a mission, I often find that God is there to help me. So I prayed, under my breath I prayed, Lord, this lady Gladys hasn't got a clue. She completely misunderstands salvation. Whatever shall I say to her? And an idea popped into my head. And I said what I was told to say. I said to her, Mrs. Robson, may I ask you a question? Fire away, she said. She was a very nice woman. Mrs. Robson, would you describe yourself as a servant of God or as a child of God? She sat bolt upright, shoulders back. I, she said, I'm a servant of God. Anyway, what's the difference? 
I asked her if she'd ever worked as a servant. Well, she had, in the sort of Downton Abbey sense, being a servant in a big house. When you worked as a servant, did you ever get things wrong? Oh, often, she said. So what happened then? Trouble, she said. Once I even got sacked. Then I asked her if she had any children. I have five children, she said. Were they all good children? Yes, she said, except John. John was the black sheep of her family. I asked her then, what happens when John comes home? Gladys smiled. Oh, she said, I killed a fatted calf. She said, I loved John so much. You forgive him? Oh, yes, she said. Always I forgive him. So I said, you know what it is like to be a servant who has done wrong? And you know what it is like to be a child who has done wrong? Which would you rather be? God's servant or God's child? Obviously, she said, I'd really rather be God's child. Well, now I need a volunteer, please, to play the part of Gladys. Uh, somebody in their early 70s would be best if there's somebody of that age who would volunteer. I'd rather have a woman than a man. <laughs> Pardon? Steve. <laughs> the other Steve is, yes. <laughs> Interesting. So come, I must have someone or I can't continue. I must have somebody play the part of Gladys. Here she comes. Well done. Well, Gladys, I'd like you to put on this torn shirt. Thank you. Pink's my colour, so that's Pink's your fine. Can you just come and stand over here, if you would? So they can see you. Well, Gladys produced a, a torn shirt, just like this one. I made some holes in the shirt and I, I rubbed it in the dirt. Uh, and the shirt looked roughly like that. She looked just as beautiful as that. I said to Gladys, this shirt shows you how you feel about yourself. In your own eyes, you are a failed servant of God. You are a mess. You are a big disappointment. Then I said, actually, that is also how God sees you. As a servant of God, you are a failure, what the Bible calls a sinner. Well, I need a volunteer now to play the part of Jesus. I need a young man, I think. Please, could I have a, a young man to play the part of Jesus? And I'm going to put onto him this smart pullover. Who's going to come? Somebody, there, there's a young man there. Would you mind? You're not going to do it for me. I'm not going to, you're not going to have to say anything. Somebody else. There, there's a man. Here, here comes somebody who will do the job for me. You can put this pullover on. It's meant to be a smart pullover. It's getting a bit ancient, actually. So you, you come over and stand next to Gladys. When um, we were in Newcastle, we put the pullover on the team member who was with me. Today, we'll put it on this gentleman here, who was Jesus. Now, I said to Gladys, when God looks at you, he sees an unprofitable servant. But when God looks at Jesus, what does he see? He sees... When, he, when God looks at Jesus, what does he see? 
he sees his son, said Gladys, the one who he loves. Well, now for the good news, I said. The good news is that it is possible for you to become a child of God like Jesus is a child of God. And then I explained to Gladys that God loves her so much that he has given his only son, Jesus, his only perfect, beautiful son, God has given Jesus to die for her. Gladys, I said, you have been very honest with us. You have admitted that you often do wrong things. Well, sins do have consequences. Sins do have to be dealt with. In fact, sin has to be punished. All sin, all law-breaking ends in punishment. If there are no consequences for law-breaking, then there is no justice at all, is there? And that, Gladys, is what you are afraid of, I said. You fear that if God sees you as you really are, then he will punish you. Well, Gladys agreed with me. That's quite true, she said. That's exactly how I feel. Well, I said, the good news is that by dying on the cross, Jesus has already taken that punishment. Jesus died in your place. On the cross, Jesus was swapping places with you. And so I asked Jesus if he would take off the small pullover and offer it to Gladys. So perhaps you could do that. And now, Gladys, if you want to, you can take off the torn shirt and put on the pullover. You don't deserve it, but Jesus is offering it to you because he loves you. Now, just a moment, Gladys. Before you put that pullover on, before you put that pullover on, ask yourself, do I really want to wear it? Do I really want to be like Jesus? Because this pullover is given on the understanding that you will do your best to inhabit Jesus' clothes. Jesus will help you, but you must play your part. You must do your best to live like Jesus lived. Well, is that okay? I said to Gladys. And Gladys said, yes, that was okay. She would do her best. And she took off the shirt, she put on the pullover. And Jesus wore the torn shirt. So you put, you put the pullover on. Now, there's a question then for everyone here. Are you wearing the shirt, the torn shirt, or are you wearing the pullover? Are you a failed servant of God, as Gladys was, or are you a child of God, as Gladys became? Okay, when God looks at Gladys, what does he see? What does he see? You tell me. He looks at Gladys. What does he see now? Yeah. He sees one of his children. He sees a much-loved child. And when God looks at Jesus, what does he see? What does he see? He sees his only beloved son tainted with the sins of the entire world, including your sins and mine. That's what he sees. Well, Gladys prayed a prayer that day, and this is the prayer that changed her life. And it is the prayer that I will offer you at the end of my sermon. In that prayer, she opened her heart, she received Jesus, and she became a child of God. After that, Gladys became a very much changed person, much, much happier than she had ever been. She used to write to me often, 
and always she would sign her letters, Gladys Robson, and then in brackets, she would write, a child of God. Thank you very much for your help. Give them a round of applause. Okay, if salvation is that easy to find, which it is, why did Jesus say that most people won't find it? There are three reasons, uh, all of them to be found in this morning's reading. In the reading, Jesus likens finding salvation, not to swapping clothes as I just did, but to going through a door and arriving in a new place. Why do people fail to get through that door? Reason number one, I believe it is true, the reason is that they try to enter through the wrong door. We recently enjoyed a lovely holiday in Copenhagen, and this is a true story about a man from Copenhagen whose name was Hans. Through his upbringing, Hans had been taught that the doors to salvation were religious observance and upright conduct going to church and being good. Now, these are not the correct doors to salvation, but Hans thought that they were. So on Sundays, Hans went to church. Hans did not smoke, he did not drink, he was careful to give to charity, he tried to do at least three good deeds every day, and he kept the Ten Commandments, or more or less. Hans had a friend called Anna, and Anna lived in the same way as Hans. And Hans and Anna were inseparable. They basically went around the world looking down on lesser mortals who did not live up to their very high standards. Then one day, to Hans's amazement, Anna began to change. Anna seemed happier, more at peace, less critical of others. And Hans couldn't stand this, so he tackled him. Anna, what is happening to you? Something has changed in you. Anna said, I've found a new way of living, Hans. I suppose for the first time in my life, I have become a real Christian. I've been born again. I'm a child of God. Jesus, he said, is so close now to me. He is my friend, and I'm loving it every day. My past is forgiven. My future seems secure. I used to think I had to earn salvation. Now I see that salvation is a gift. Well, Hans was furious. Rubbish, he said. Rubbish, absolute twaddle. But that night, Hans could not sleep. He was so angry with Anna, but he, he couldn't sleep. But one phrase, something Anna had said, kept going round and round in Hans's mind. The phrase was this. We are sinners, Hans. We are sinners, Hans. We try to be good, but in reality, we are sinners. Sinners in needs of forgiveness just like everyone else. Until we find forgiveness, we are nothing. The next day, after that sleepless night, Hans boarded a tram in Copenhagen. He found a seat, but then next to him sat a dirty, smelly man. So Hans moved his seat because he didn't like people like that. And the man moved too and sat down next to him again. So Hans tried standing up and the man stood next to him. His breath was smelling, his eyes were bleary. This is a true story. All the while, the man poured out his woes. 
My life is in a mess, he said, and it's all my fault. I drink, I take drugs, I have cheated on my wife, I'm lazy, I don't work, I steal. On and on and on he went. Hans eventually could not take this anymore. And remembering what Anna had said the, next, the night before, Hans grasped the man by his lapels, right in front of him, like that, looked into his face. You, he said to him, are a sinner. Yes, said the man, a dreadful, dreadful sinner. Did you know, said Hans, that Jesus Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins? Yes, said the man, I do know. It is what my mother taught me. Then said Hans, call on Jesus to save you. And to Hans's astonishment, the man did. He raised his eyes and his hands to heaven, and he cried out at the top of his voice, Jesus, save me! Jesus, save me! The response to his prayer was immediate. The man's face changed. He was at peace, suddenly sober, shining with joy. And then Hans had one of those moments when your whole life flashes in front of you. Hans became aware of what a prig he was, how judgmental, how proud, how empty inside. And suddenly Hans lifted up his own eyes and hands to heaven. And he too cried out, Jesus, save me too. The two of them left the tram arm in arm, brothers in the family of forgiven sinners. My good friend Ed became a Christian when he was 20. A friend had asked him, are you a Christian, Ed? Oh, yes, said Ed, I was practically born in the church. To this his friend said, if you had been born in a garage, Ed, would that make you a Ford? That was what got through to him. The door to salvation, please understand, is faith. Door to salvation is faith in what Jesus did for you on the cross. Salvation does not lie in church-going or upright conduct. Now, the second reason that people fail to find salvation is because they are unwilling to adopt the lifestyle of the narrow road. Remember, I told Gladys, don't put on the pullover unless you are prepared to wear it. So another mission week for me, another sermon like this one. I preached, I led people in a prayer, as I will today. I asked the people who had prayed that prayer to come and tell me and allow me to pray for them. And Beryl came. I'd not met Beryl before. Roger, she said, I've come to say that I could not pray your prayer. Are you able to tell me why? Well, she wouldn't tell me why then, but later that week I got to meet her and I heard her story. This was her story. Beryl had been happily married, married for about three years. And one day, her husband, then aged about 30, set out for work. He had a heart attack as he got into his car, and he died there on the spot. A devastated Beryl had been comforted by her family and friends, and especially by her best friend, Louise. Louise's husband, Jack, also took to popping in to see how Beryl was doing. And gradually, Jack's comfort turned into attraction and then into passion. And as I spoke to Beryl, she was in the midst of a torrid affair with Jack, and Louise had no idea this was going on. Do you see now, Roger, she said, why I can't say your prayer? Well, not really, I said. 
we're all sinners in need of forgiveness. You are no different from anyone else. Yes, said Beryl, I know. You said that in your sermon. But if I come to Jesus for forgiveness, I must be prepared to change, mustn't I? You said that too, and I cannot give up Jack. You can give him up, I said. It won't be easy, but God will help you. If you pray that prayer, God will send his spirit to live in you. And once you have the spirit inside you, you will be ready for anything. I know, said Beryl, you said that in your sermon too. But said Beryl, I just won't give Jack up. I won't, I won't, I won't. I don't care who gets hurt. I don't care if I go to hell. That's what she said to me. Well, Beryl was right. With that attitude, she could never find salvation. We'll say that prayer in a minute. The prayer is mainly about receiving Jesus and becoming a child of God. But in the prayer, we will also make three decisions, three promises. First, we'll make the decision that Beryl wouldn't make. And that's this decision. If I know something to be wrong, then from today, I will do my best not to do it. Relying, I suppose, also on God to help me. The second decision, a more positive one. From today, if God asks me to do something, then I will do it. The hardest thing that God ever asked me to do was to forgive someone who had tried to wreck my life. I didn't want to do that. I really did not want to forgive. But in the end, with God's help, I managed it. There have been many other things too. For example, God told me ever so clearly that I must give up my work in the university world and become a vicar. I definitely didn't want to do that. And that was very hard. But whenever I have obeyed God, I have in the end been blessed. And it will be the same for you. The third decision is this. From today... I will join the Jesus team. If someone says to me, you're not one of those Christians, are you? Then I will promise to say, yes, I am. As a matter of fact, I am. I will not push my faith on people, but I will never deny Jesus. Another mission. The fourth, the, then, so that's the second reason. The third reason, the final reason that Jesus gave for saying that few will be saved is that many leave it far too late. Or they leave it until it's too late. Another mission, another meeting. This time I met George. George made a very good contribution to the meeting, and as he left, he said to me, Roger, that was a good talk you gave tonight. It's really set me thinking. And at the end of the week, George was the last person to say goodbye to the team. Been a good week, he said, a really good week. You guys have really made me think. Six months later, we did a follow-up visit. Well, you've guessed, George was still thinking. Well, there is a lot to think about. Some here this morning perhaps will not be ready to make a decision. But if that is you, then here is the challenge. Ask your questions by all means. Steve's job is to answer them, and he's here for you. Ask your questions. He will try and answer them, and he will give you time. But let's... Imagine that you're still thinking by Christmas. Then the truth is that you're not really thinking, you're just prevaricating. And a lot of people prevaricate. My, my father-in-law prevaricated until he was 93. Um, and then when he was 93, he became a Christian. What a waste of all those years. For the like 
likes of George, though, I fear, it is eventually just going to be too late. I told you one story about a tram. Here to finish my sermon is another story about a tram. This tram, like all trams, eventually reached the end of the line. All the passengers got off the tram except this one man. And this man demanded to be taken further. He said to the driver, you see those gates over there? Just drive the tram through those gates. That's where I want to go, and I will get off the tram then. The driver pointed out that trams run on rails and that the rails do not go through the gates. The man offered the driver money. Of course, it could not be accepted. Look, said the driver, you can see the gates. Get off the tram and just walk through them. But the man never got off the tram. He just sat there and eventually the tram set off back up the track and the gates slipped out of view. And it was too late. The man had missed his chance. Now, your visit to church today, this service, this sermon, is a bit like that tram. You're sitting on the tram. Now, it won't be true of all of you, but some of you right now are seeing it ever so clearly. You're able to see the gates. You can see Jesus standing just inside the gates with his offer of salvation. I plead with you, don't just sit on the tram. And don't expect me or Steve or anybody else to get you through the gates into the arms of Jesus. We can't do that. Only you can do that. You have to make a decision and come to him. Run to him. He will give you forgiveness for all that is past. He will give you his presence in your life every day. He will give you the power to live well. He will give you hope for the future. One day he will give you eternal life. And the way to come to Jesus is to say this prayer and mean it. I'll read it to you so that you know what it is you're about to say. First paragraph is about belief. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I believe you lived as a man. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. I believe you are alive now. Can you say that prayer? Do you believe that's true? The second paragraph is about trust, and it's a decision. Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. I trust that your death is sufficient for all my sins. I trust that you will take me through all the difficulties of my life and bring me safely to a place with you in heaven. I trust in your instructions for my life. I will try to live by your priorities. I will be unashamed of you to my friends, and I will not willingly do wrong. And the final prayer is a simple prayer asking him to send his spirit to you. Lord, I open my heart to you and pray that you will send me the gift of the Holy Spirit. Say this prayer and it will change your life because you will find salvation through it. So please could you bow your heads as you consider this prayer. I'm going to say the prayer sentence by sentence, and I'm going to leave a gap between the sentences. I'd ask you not to say the prayer out loud, but to say it inside with all that you've got. Say this prayer sincerely. Change the words if you like, but mean them. So here, if you're ready, is the prayer. Lord Jesus, I believe in you. So you say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. 
I believe you lived as a man. I believe you died for my sins on the cross. I believe you rose again from the dead. I believe you are alive now. Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. You say the same, Lord Jesus, I put my trust in you. I trust that your death is sufficient for all my sins. I trust in you that you will take me through all the difficulties of life and bring me safely to a place with you in heaven. I trust in your instructions for my life and I will try to live by your priorities. I will be unashamed of you to my friends. I will not willingly do wrong. And then the final prayer, Lord, I open my heart to you. Would you say that? Lord, I open my heart to you. I pray that you will send to me the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Father, I thank you for those who have prayed that prayer this morning. I know, Lord, that you have heard them, and I pray that you will respond to them wonderfully much, that they may know you personally, that they may find that you are their father and that they are your children, that they may find peace and joy and happiness and power and purpose in living, that you will make them new in Jesus' name. Amen. If you've uh, prayed with me this morning, then at the end of the service, I propose to stand at the front um, and uh, please come and see me and say, uh, I prayed the prayer. Please could I have one of your books, which has got the prayer written out. So I'd like, like, to, like to take it home and I'll gladly give it to you. Um, if you um, come for the prayer, I shall then say to you, may I say a prayer for you? Um, and uh, if you're happy to, for me to do that, then I would like to do that too. Uh, Thank you very much for listening.